Good morning, everybody. How are you doing today? All right. Yeah, good to see you guys. Come on, you're a little bit more lively than first service crowd. This is a more highly caffeinated crowd. What an awesome time in worship today. Man, I don't, I, some, I'm sure that like, I know it's different for everybody, but I'm feeling it. I was feeling it today. Get my hands up, really experiencing God. And I'm so excited about that. I'm so excited to be here with you. And I just, I never think it's just another Sunday. Every week that we come together, God is up to something. He wants to do something. And you can leave here today transformed from the inside out, more full of the Holy Spirit, more connected with God. Come on, God wants to change your life today. So I'm excited about what we're doing now. And you know, worship is not something that just happens in the music. Even now, as we enter into a time of reading the Word of God and looking into the Word of God is also a time of worship. Did you know that? This whole thing we're doing together including when you walk in and you begin to greet people and you begin to talk and you begin to love one another is an act of worship to God. So that's why we call Sunday a worship service. It's not just singing, it's the whole thing. And now we're going to enter into worshiping God through the reading of the word, expounding the word and learning uh, more about what God has for us and what he's up to in the world. Sound good? So I'm excited guys, because we're starting a brand new series called Peculiar People. How many wives say I have a peculiar husband? Do you know the difference between men and savings bonds? Savings bonds eventually mature. <laughs> Whereas men, we just uh, fake it till we make it. But I've actually found the secret to male maturity is Old Spice. You with me? I'm just 40-ish now, but when I actually turn 40, I'm going to, uh, two things are going to mark that, that time of that passage of true manliness. It's like you turn 40, more chest hair. That's, you know, obviously for granted. I mean, take that for granted, right? I mean, uh, of course that. And then uh, uh, Old Spice Cologne and Hanes Whitey Tidies. That's <laughs> the Holy Spirit left the room. Yeah, come on. Yeah, that's what it's about. Peculiar people. We're talking about the book of Acts. We're going to be studying the book of Acts and look at what it means to be true followers of Jesus. What what happened after the, the life and the death and the resurrection of Christ and what came after that is what the book of Acts is. And the cool thing about the book of Acts is that it's not a book of history that's 2,000 years old that just sort of is, that was then, but this is now. But actually we, as the church of Jesus in this day and age, are still living in the same progression, the same narrative and story that started with Jesus dying on the, uh, you know, doing his ministry dying on the cross, being raised from the dead. And the aftermath of that is what we call the book of Acts. And we are still living in it today, which is why I'm so excited about this series. And you go, well, why are we talking about being peculiar? Well, I'll tell you why. Because people that encountered Jesus, that, that the resurrection was vivid and real for them, it changed them and they started to stand out in a world that with people that were sort of bowing down or sitting down. Now, look, we live at a time in the season in our culture where it's more comfortable to blend in. Now, I don't care if you are uh, extremely left politically or extremely right. Newsflash, we have a, a blend of it all in this church. Don't ask anybody who they voted for. We'll have a church split. It'll just be terrible. Just assume everybody else thinks politically exactly like you do, and you'll be fine. Because how many of you know, those of you, Jesus would have voted for Hillary. Jesus would have voted for Trump. He wouldn't vote for either of them. He votes for himself, okay? So don't ask anybody who they voted for. But whether you're left or right or in the middle or you think you're in the middle or you're whatever you may be, right? Uh, it's right now in culture, if you stand up for something or you say, this is what I think, or whatever, you know you're going to get your head taken off. D did you know that? 
Anybody else been on social media anytime? Twitter, Facebook, you know, any of these places. You say one thing, uh, you're going to get destroyed. And so it's easier, it's comfortable. Most people are not looking for trouble. Like me, I just want to go around through my life. I want to read old dusty books. I want to speak in a fake British accent, you know, smoke a bubble pipe. It's just, I just want to do my thing. And I want to blend in. I don't want to stand out. I want to blend in. But yet when you are a follower of Jesus, that decision gets taken from you and you are forced to be that city on a hill, a city that cannot be hidden, a light that cannot be hidden. And people are going to look at you and go, hmm, they're weird. They're peculiar. Now, if you're like me, even though you might not believe it, because I'm up here talking to a bunch of people, I'm actually highly introverted. And I, I prefer my own company. I found I agree with all my own political opinions. It's amazing. <laughs> And uh, every once in a while, a good thought and a good conversation happens, and it's all in my head, right? Anyone else uh, feel that way? But I, uh, I don't like to be uncomfortable. I don't, like to, I don't like to necessarily stand out. And yet, as a follower of Jesus, we're called to, to be peculiar. We're called to stick out. But not, when I say the word peculiar, I don't mean weird, okay? We've all met weird religious people, right? Maybe you are the weird religious person, and you're the one sitting there with, like, feathers and bells and all that. You don't know who you are, but we do. So, you know... <laughs> The weird religious stuff. When I was a kid in Medford, I, growing up at my dad's church, we had a lady that identified herself as the high priestess of Noah, which is, means absolutely zero. And she came in and wore bells, so we called her the bell lady. And anyways, interesting lady, okay? That's all I'm going to say about that. When you hear the word peculiar, you think he's talking about, I have to be like a weird religious person. I have to be at a Ducks game and the Ducks score a touchdown and I have to yell hallelujah instead of go Ducks, you know? I mean, you talk to somebody, you're like, how are you doing? They're like, praise Jesus, how holy is the Lord, and holy be his name. And they have Christian Tourette's. I mean, you're, I, don't, I don't want to be that way. That's not what I'm talking about. When I talk about peculiarity, I'm talking about being marked by the presence of Jesus so it makes you stand out because of a peculiar grace and a compassion and a peculiar sense of justice and a peculiar sense of the Spirit in your life pouring out and the love that you share with others. Come on. I'm calling about a peculiarity of being willing to serve other people, even when they don't agree with your perfectly formed political opinions. I'm talking about being peculiar because our tribe is not united based on race or economics or politics, but rather serving God and being brought into his kingdom as children. I'm talking about standing out because we're different, because the mark of Jesus is in our life. I knew a guy in, back in Medford uh, when I was growing up, and he was well-known across town. His name was Norm. He would identify himself as Brother Norm. And he, would, he was like this, he looked like um, Richard Simmons. You remember the guy, Richard Simmons? <laughs> that guy? He looked like him, and he was, about, I think he was like nine, 900 years old when I knew him. He was older than Methuselah, but he would stop counting like year 700. And uh, he'd be like, uh, you know, I'm not weird, I'm just wired. If you got the good book, you're never going to get shook. He'd carry on this enormous Bible. He'd be like, this is the goody gaudy book, not the nudie naughty book, you know? <laughs> we can go home after that, huh? And Norm was very peculiar. Now, he had some idiosyncrasies uh, like we all do. Like, newsflash, you think you're normal, nobody else does. I look at my own kids sometimes, I'm like, These, they are weird. What is wrong with them? And then I look at Bethany and I'm like, oh, no, it all makes sense. It all makes sense. Idiosyncrasies, right? We all have them. And uh, Norm was kind of, you know, interesting, peculiar. But man, the guy loved God so much that even though he was saying stuff like the goody gaudy book, not the nudie naughty book, he connected with people because there was an authenticity 
There was an electric spark of the presence of God that came from his life because he was real. So he could say crazy religious stuff, but you know what? It came from a heart of love and compassion for people. And so he connected with people. There was a peculiarity. So no matter how weird you are, you don't have to be weird. You can just be wired, right? You can be connected to the Holy Spirit of God and be peculiar. But I believe that, especially in this day and age when it'd be easier to blend in, the church is called to stand out. We're called to be peculiar and really be the people that, not because of our own goodness or greatness or, or amazing communication skills or whatever, but because of the presence of God that we do stand out as being peculiar in the world around us. And so as we go into the book of Acts, we're going to look at this, that the, the early church and how we are to be in that same story. And it comes not because of, again, our own uh, identifying marks or characteristics. It comes because of being with Jesus, having an encounter with Jesus. In the book of Acts chapter 4, verse 13, there's been a miracle. And uh, Peter and John have prayed for this man who is crippled. He's healed. The religious authorities call him together. They have a big powwow. They call it a council. They're like, we're trying to figure this out. They're upset. Because I think he, he, uh, I don't remember the whole story here, but they bring him in. And it says in verse 13, the members of the council were amazed. They noticed, right? These guys stood out when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they could see they were ordinary men. In other words, there was nothing about them that really made them stand out. They didn't have all their old spice on that day. It wasn't really like evident why something amazing had happened with them. It says they had no special training in the scriptures. And it says they also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. As Bethany and I were looking into this series, she brought out this verse and said, this would be a good one to cover. And I, and I was like, I agree, babe. You know, being with Jesus should be the mark. An encounter with Christ. People should know you by the fruit of that, that love and that life of Christ coming out of you. They were not special. They were not educated. It's not based on your ability to preach or your ability to lead worship or your ability to do any kind of religious activity that you might be imagining. What should distinguish you as a follower of Jesus is this and this alone, that you have been with Jesus and in such an indelible way, an undeniable way, the presence and the life of Christ should be upon your life where people say, I can't deny it. This is so peculiar. I'm pretty amazed because I knew this person before, but now after Jesus, there's something different about their life. Come on, I'm preaching good. Don't shout me down. I'm going to talk fast because come on, we need to get to lunch. That's, there's like two commandments in Christianity now, right? Like love Jesus and get to lunch on time. Somebody texted me last week. They said, there were a lot of people in suits in line in front of us at the restaurant, basically inferring that I had failed. <laughs> I wasn't the preacher last week. Let's just say that. Okay. <laughs> the peculiarity comes from the mark of Christ in our life. And so we're going to explore the book of Acts. And I love this book because as I mentioned, it's not just the story of the early church. It's your story and it's my story. I have some stories that I've read that I, I really love. I love the Lord of the Rings, right? I love Harry Potter. I'll just offend religious people right now. Get offended, okay? I love the Chronicles of Narnia. I've read all kinds of, of novels and stories, and you could pick your favorite one, but I remember as a kid, I would, I would just like dream about being in Narnia. I mean, there's talking animals. It's cool, right? And so I remember going out in front of my parents' house. I had this plastic this plastic baseball bat from the Dollar Tree or something, and I'd pretend it was a sword, and I'd pretend I was the king of Narnia, and I was fighting battles and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, as an 18-year-old, some people thought it was weird, but uh, I, I was fine with it. And um, I don't know why I never had any dates in high school. It's interesting. But I would think about getting into the story. 
and how cool that would be. And you know the beauty of this book of Acts and what's happening with us as followers of Jesus is that we get to get into this story. We're not just observers, we are participants. That what God was up to, what Jesus brought into the light at, uh, through his death and resurrection and the story that played out through the church is what we are invited to participate in today. So as, as we as a church go through the book of Acts, I don't want you to read it as a passive impartial observer. I want you to say, man, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I am part of this story. I am part of the continuation of this narrative of what God is up to. So let's talk about the book of Acts. I'm going to give you a little bit of background about the book of Acts that you may know, may, may not know. I'll just fill in some details. The book of Acts was written by a man named Luke. Luke was perhaps a physician. He's identified in another passage of scripture. What we do know about Luke is that he was a traveling companion of the apostle Paul. So he went with him on some of his missionary journeys. And Luke actually wrote two books. So have you ever heard of the gospel of Luke, right? There's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, they're really creative with the titles of naming their book. They're like, oh, no, no. So you can tell it was men that did it, right? Because <laughs> ladies would be like, this is the adventure of Jesus and his friends, you know? But <laughs> guys are like, yeah, I wrote a book. I call it, his name is called Jake. It's about Old Spice. Whitey tidies. It's pretty good. It's four sentences, you know? <laughs> So Luke ends up writing one of the Gospels. He wrote the book of Luke and he wrote the book of Acts. I don't know why we have Luke, John, Acts. I don't know why they put that in that order because Luke and Acts are actually really the same book. And Luke is part one and the book of Acts is part two. And the, the reason Luke does it that way is because Luke one is about what Jesus did and, Luke, and then Acts is about what happened because of it, okay? Say the word aftermath with me aftermath. Sorry, I just did that weird. But anyways, good job. You, you did good. Acts could be called the book of aftermath. It's what took place after or as a result of the events that took place in the book of Luke. So Luke was a traveling companion of Paul. Uh, he wasn't a contemporary, or at least he wasn't with Jesus. So he got his eyewitness account of that he wrote the gospel from other people. But in the book of Acts, at one point, it kind of shifts in the narrative. It's about halfway through. And the book of Acts really picks up and it kind of exclusively focuses on the missionary journeys of Paul. And it's a very firsthand account because Luke was actually there for a lot of it. And he was with Paul seeing what took place. Now, Luke uh, wrote the book of Acts and the book of Luke to a person that is identified, as we're going to see in just a minute, as Theophilus. And Theophilus means beloved of God or friend of God. And there's some people that think Theophilus is just kind of a moniker to a general audience. Those who are beloved of God, this book is for you. But most likely it was actually a, a patron, uh, perhaps in the city of Antioch, someone who maybe even funded Luke to be able to write this account to get the story out to, to do that. And so Theophilus means beloved of God. And Luke writes to this person, Theophilus, in two parts. He gives him the book of Luke and he gives him the book of Acts. And he says, here's what happened in the, in the ministry of Jesus, the gospel, the proclamation of the kingdom. And then we come to the book of Acts, which is where we're going to pick up right now. So we're going to start in Acts chapter 1, verse 1. He says, in my first book, right, speaking of his book, Luke, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. He says, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways, that he was actually alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And it says, once 
Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then Luke goes on, he fills in some details. He says, when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And Jesus replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, which is where we are, like the ends of the earth, right? After saying this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Father, we just open our hearts and minds this morning as we read your word, as we look into your word. Speak to us, God. Reveal yourself to us. And Lord, let us leave transformed and changed by what you have for us today in Jesus' name. Luke is giving us some interesting clues and some, some purpose in setting up the scenario of the book of Acts and even looking back to his gospel that he wrote, the book of Luke, in these first few sentences, in this first section of this one chapter of the book of Acts. You need to understand that to go through the process of writing these books and going through the expense of having them copied and everything, there was a real and legitimate reason why he was writing these. They mean something. It's not like you just, oh, I accidentally wrote a book yesterday. How many of you know that's not how it works? There, there's, there's something uh, powerful, a, a purpose that Luke has, and he wanted to tell Theophilus, this is what happened. And that's why in, 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 in uh, Acts chapter 1, verse 1, he says, I told you in my first book about everything Jesus began to do and teach. So there was a purpose in writing that. And the reason he wanted to tell Theophilus what had happened was so that he could explain what was happening. Because what was happening in the book of Acts is the world was just becoming a very dramatically different place. The, the, the book of Acts, as I said before, could be called the book of aftermath because really it's a dividing line. After Jesus shows up, preaches the gospel in this backwater province uh, of the Roman Empire, which was really nothing at the time, not important, not, not significant, uh, but then he rises from the dead and these people are like, yeah, we saw him, we saw him. And they begin to preach this thing. It's called the way and it begins to spread. And in the next 50 to 100 years, it goes all around the world. It was interesting to me when Bethany and I on our honeymoon were in England because they said, yeah, the apostle Peter preached here. What? You mean like, hello, cheerio, he was here. <laughs> we like, what? Because it was my worlds collided. And they're like, yeah, he, he went all the way to that province and preached there. there there's, there's historical accounts of Peter going there. If you read the book, the, the Search for the Twelve Apostles, you find out they just went everywhere. But the church itself, because of persecution and everything, it began to spread. And this thing went like wildfire. And so Luke is, is saying to Theophilus, hey, you need to know what happened so you can understand what's happening. You ever have situations in life where you're like, what is going on? Just like that? What is going on? The other night, Bethany and I were laying in bed and it was probably like 10 o'clock at night, 10.30, I don't know. And we were probably watching a show or something and we, we hear all these sirens going off. We live in the River Road area. So maybe you remember this event. We were, woo, 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 you know, going by. You knew what a siren sounded like, right? 
And uh, we hear all of it going by, and it's loud, and then we hear it go by again, and then we hear it go by again, and we're hearing all this, this hubaloo, and we're like, what's happening? And so Bethany is part of all these groups that crime watch and all that, you know, and so she's like, her and, you know, McGriff, the crime dog, are always keeping track of the neighborhood. And, uh, and so I'm always like, hey, babe, what's going on? And she goes on, oh, we'll second, and how many of you love this kind of stuff? How many of you know, though, don't own a police scanner, it will scare you, because there's peculiar people out there. So we're like, what's going on? We can't find, and people are talking about it in the groups. There's cops everywhere, and we just saw them put a spike strip down. You're like, spike strip? This is diehard. It's awesome, you know, and <laughs> there was all this stuff going on, but it wasn't until the next day that we found out that there was somebody on the run, right, from the cops, and apparently never grew up watching bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? Why do we never learn, you guys? You can't run away. So, gotta face the music, but it's not till the next day that we find out what was happening, right? We, weren't, we didn't know what was going on. And this is what's happening here. Theophilus is hearing all of these reports. The church, it's growing. Like people are being healed, raised from the dead. Gentiles are coming into the faith. The entire world is different. We're living in this aftermath. What took place? And Luke is saying, this is what took place. This guy, Jesus, this is what happened. This is why what's happening is happening. It's because of this. Are you with me? And so that's why the book of Acts is the book of aftermath, because it's reflecting the events and the new normal that comes onto the scene based on Jesus and what he did. Many of us that were alive at the time know exactly where we were on September 11th, 2001. How many of you can remember very well where you were that morning, right? Everybody that's younger is like old people, you know, but all of us that were around we remember very well that was a marking moment in our national, but also in the world, the history of the world. Uh, it was on that day that, as you know very well, that uh, terrorist hijacked planes crashed them into the World Trade Center. I remember I was going to prayer with my dad. We were driving in the car and we heard the news report come over the radio and said a small plane, uh, uh, you know, I think they said a Cessna crashed into the World Trade Center. And we're like, wow, that's crazy. That's really sad, you know, for those people. And we're thinking it's a, it's a tragedy, but a minor tragedy. Though it's not minor for the people, but you hear what I'm saying. As we get to the church, we, we had the TV on. We started hearing more reports that things were happening. So we start watching, see the plane crashing in the second building. And now, even like last week, I'm at the airport and they're like, take off your shoes, take off your belt. You know what I mean? Luckily, let me keep my clothes on. I mean, anyways. Uh, put all your worldly possessions on the thing. You have to go through the conveyor belt, go through the, you know, how you, everybody knows this move now. <laughs> you know what I mean? You have to go through, you know what I mean? Because I'm made of steel, it always rings like crazy. Um, just, it's like clacks and alarms in there. I don't know. But anyways, the world is different. We're living in a post 9-11 reality. The security consciousness, not just on the United States side, but at airports all around the world, if you travel all around, it's different than it was before. Why? Because something happened and it changed everything and it, and it, it, it altered the very perspective, it altered the very fabric of reality of the world. And this is what Luke is talking about when he's writing these books. And so we can see some clues in Acts chapter one when he says, Theophilus, I wanna tell you about everything Jesus began to do and teach. Now here's where it gets really awesome. Why does Luke say that he began to do and teach? Why would you use the word began? Because it's not finished yet. And what Luke is saying is Acts is a continuation of what Jesus started. Jesus showed up on the scene and he said some awesome stuff. He did some awesome stuff. He died on the cross. He rose again. 
And the book of Luke is telling Theophilus and telling you and I, this is what he started. This is what he began, but it's going on and on. And that's why I tell you that we are still part of this narrative and part of this story. We are living in the age of the church, the age of the Holy Spirit that started right here in the book of Acts, which is why you should get really excited when you go through this book and read it because it's not dead words on a page. It's not a history book. It's a living history that we are a part of ourselves. And we are, as the church, yeah, that's good, called to continue the work that Jesus began to do and continue to say what Jesus began to say. This is what Luke is talking about. Something is happening right now in our day and age because of what happened. One of the most insidious lies or insecurities that you can believe or buy into as a follower of Jesus is that it was better back then, and now it's kind of like, we'll just hang on until Jesus comes and gets us. No. Listen, when Jesus talked to his disciple Peter, he said, look, Peter, you're, you're a rock and I'm gonna build uh, my, my church upon this rock and the gates of hell, speaking of the church, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Many people think about the church like a fortress, which it is in some senses, but it's not supposed to be. We are an army on the move. We are going to kick the gates of hell down. They shall not prevail. The story is still going. Come on, the church is still growing. The church is still moving. Come on. It's not dying off. And you go, yeah, but I heard all these statistics that churches are closing and people are leaving and millennials don't love Jesus. You know why? Because they're waiting for the true church to emerge out of the ashes like a phoenix of dead institutions and religion. Come on. Let me tell you right now, and you know this if you've been at Joy Church for more than five minutes, that we're not about a building. We're not about an institution. We are about the resurrection of Jesus and the kingdom of God. And we are a living body, a living history, a living group of people led by the Holy Spirit. Come on, still believing and buying into the stuff that started 2000 years ago and wanting to see Jesus lifted up and exalted in our community, which means the kingdom of God coming and things being transformed. And I'm preaching and I'm going to keep going. All right. And so Luke says, hey, Jesus started something, but it's still going on and it's still going on now which is exciting to me, obviously. And then he goes on and he says, hey, Theophilus, look, he, during the 40 days that he was around before he ascended into heaven, he appeared to his apostles from time to time. We know from other parts of scripture that he, uh, 500 people saw him alive. And it says, and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. I want you to mark that. Jesus said, hey, I'm here. I'm alive. He told Thomas, put your hands in my wounds. Touch me. Feel me. Look, I eat fish, right? Jesus had a fish taco, right? And he says, I'm real. I'm corporeal. I'm here. I'm tangible. I'm not a spirit. I'm, I'm here. I'm physically here. I rose from the dead. That matters. And he, he told his disciples a bunch of times. Why? Because when you're communicating something, you have to repeat it, especially to men. Come on, guys. Are we right? But Jesus told all of his disciples, men and women, I'm, i I am alive. I actually rose from the dead. And then it says, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Now you got to understand if you read the gospels at all, all four of them, but specifically Luke, you'll see that that's all that Jesus talks about. He's like, hey, I'm here to tell you about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like this. The kingdom of God is like that. It's like this in the kingdom of God. And he is basically in his whole ministry showing up and he's identifying himself as the king of this kingdom. And he's talking about the kingdom of God. Now, what does that mean? The kingdom of God. The kingdom of God means there's a king on a throne and what he wants to get done gets done. But you got to understand something. This, the kingdom of God is here, but it's not here all the way. Because did you know that the world right now is a strife? There's a battle, a cosmic battle between good and evil. And don't look at your husband or wife right now, right? When I say that. 
There's a conflict <coughs> that started right in the book of Genesis, right at the beginning of history. The, the, the uh, Satan, the adversary, he lies to Adam and Eve. They're, they're deceived and they're, they, they choose to sin. They, they, they take their God-given authority as rulers and, and reigning over the, the, the earth. It's the, the realm of man. They, they bring in evil. Evil comes in the door and strife and evil and sickness and death comes into our story, but that's not what God intended. Let me give you a theological upgrade today in like two minutes, okay? Who's ready? All right, you hear people say, oh, you know, my grandpa, you know, or this person in my family, they died of cancer, but God is in control. It was God's will, balderdash. That's ridiculous. Well, this person was human trafficked and my ch child was abducted and taken and put into sexual slavery, but God's in control. God's will be done. That's not God's will. What God are you serving? Get your head out of the sand. What did you think I was going to say? <laughs> Let me upgrade your theology. The world that God intended is not the world that we live in right now. It's broken. You're broken. I'm broken. Right? Sickness, despair, discouragement, evil, the hurt, the pain that we cause each other, warfare, poverty, all of these things are not God's will and they're not God's plan. What do they show us? This world is in conflict which is why it's pretty awesome when Jesus says, God's kingdom is here now. And they're like, sweet. So Jesus, when are you going to get like, we need tanks. We're going to kick the Romans out. And they say it right here in the book of Acts. His disciples, even after three years with Jesus, they're still thinking that he's going to overthrow Rome and Israel's coming back. We're back with a fury. Like Fast and Furious 9. You know what I mean? Israel part 9. You look at the entire Old Testament is, is showing that God, he, he never got his way through the workings of human government and, and, ideal, and all of that and power. And so they're like, Jesus, are you going to restore Israel? Are you going to bring the Jews back to power? Are you going to bring us back to power? And Jesus is like, I'm not even going to answer that question. He's like, that is not for you to know, right? How many of you have ever done this with your kids? Where are we going to lunch today? That is not for you to know. The father will set the dates and the times. He says, but listen, I will give you power but not the kind of power you think. I'm going to give you power to be my witnesses all around the world. Why? Because the new king is inaugurating a new kingdom. He's bringing back God's rule and reign. And Jesus wants them to understand that the power of the Holy Spirit is for the proclamation of this good news that God's kingdom is now available to everyone to enter into. And it looks very different than this busted old world's kingdom that we all live in right now and that you can be a part of it. This is the invitation of Jesus. So you got to hear this. He's telling them some important stuff right in the first chapter. He says, look, I am actually alive. What Jesus is saying here is I did raise from the dead. I beat death down. And now I'm living proof, literally, that death is beaten and broken. We sang it today, I think, didn't we? Death is defeated. The king is alive. Jesus is the firstborn of a new class of human being. One of the world's greatest bands, Switchfoot, talked about it, a new way to be human. Uh, Jesus is the firstborn of the new creation. He's the first resurrected human being is a picture of what will happen for you and I. When we pass from death to life in Christ, we will be resurrected and you won't be a fat baby playing a harp in heaven on a cloud. The new heaven and the new earth will come down like the city of Jerusalem and be here and this world will be transformed and there'll be a new heavens and a new earth and you'll be resurrected and you will actually have a resurrected body. Say amen. amen. I need a resurrected body. This one's not working so well for me. You okay? Say theological upgrade. All right. Moving on. Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, but he says something else. The third kind of big thing here that Luke gives us is he says, hey, wait, wait. 
because I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit and he's gonna give you power to be my witnesses. What are they witnesses of? Well, if you read through the whole book of Acts, what you find out is they always are telling people, hey, did you know Jesus rose from the dead? Did you know Jesus rose from the dead? Hey, there was this guy, Jesus, he rose from the dead. Hey, we wanna tell you about Jesus, he rose from the dead. Can we tell you about Jesus, he rose from the dead? We'd like to tell you guys about Jesus, he rose from the dead. <laughs> That's what they're witnesses of. And you know what that means? That he rose from the dead? Also, he's the king of this new kingdom and you can be a part of it. Isn't that good news? That's the gospel. Jesus beat death. He saved us. Superman showed up and he's way cooler and he's not wearing underwear on the outside. <laughs> he came. He lived the perfect life. He gave his life for us and he rose from the dead. He beat the big bad guy, the boss level, level 10. He beat it. And he's inviting us to join his kingdom a new kingdom of peace, of love, a place where it doesn't matter what color you are or what side of the tracks you grew up on. Come on, a new kingdom that doesn't care if you voted for Trump or Hillary. I mean, the only way that your politics are accurate is if you agree with me 100%. But other than that, the new kingdom where it doesn't matter who's president or prime minister or whatever, the new kingdom where God is always king, where Jesus reigns. Come on. You're not amending loud enough because you're mad about politics. You're just so bitter. Jesus told him, hey, I, I rose from the dead. Talk about the kingdom. And he says, wait for the Holy Spirit. Why? Because you can't really be a witness of the resurrection and an ambassador of the kingdom of God apart from the power of the Holy Spirit. And a real living and dynamic, authentic Christian faith as it was in the book of Acts, as it is right now in the book of the Christians of Eugene and Springfield. Come on. In this continu continuity of this narrative, a real and living dynamic Christianity is always mysterious and spirit-empowered, not just intellectual and safe. You see, for someone like me, who is a spirit-filled, you know, somebody who'd be called a charismatic Christian, I actually am freaked out by all things Holy Spirit and prefer to live in the safe confines of old dusty books. And yet the supernatural continually invades my life and I see the workings, the mysterious workings of God and I have to reflect back and realize that the beginning of Christianity as it was then, it is today, it is still outside of the realm of everything we can possibly understand and control. And there's a realm of the sovereign move of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't want that, you're missing out on what God's kingdom is all about. And I hate to, I, I mean, I was going to say hate to offend you, but I actually delight in it a little bit in a, a weird way. But if you go anywhere in the world where God is moving in, in, in incredible ways in the third world, everybody is being filled with the Holy Spirit. Baptists in Africa speak in tongues, guys. Sorry. You're like, <gasps> but I don't understand. Neither do I. God is up to something. He says, wait for the power of the Holy Spirit, not just so we can all act like lunatics. No. So we can be empowered to proclaim the kingdom. And so we can be empowered to establish the kingdom. When you go into the book of Acts, and we're going to talk about this, you don't just see the proclamation of truth and creed, and here's truth, and here's words, and here's verses. That's not what they do. They roll into town. They proclaim the gospel of Jesus. You see an immediate outpouring of the Holy Spirit. People's lives are absolutely transformed. There are earthquakes. There are miracles. There are supernatural things. People are raised from the dead. Let me just tell you right now, if we would awaken to our inheritance as Christians, understanding that we are just part of this ongoing narrative, I believe we're going to see the supernatural outpouring of the Holy Spirit if we will dare to go to the places of darkness where only God's light can penetrate those areas. I want to see miracles. Do you trust God to step out of the boat? 
well, no, I like I have my 401k and like that would interrupt if I, you know, well, exactly. I believe that the reason we don't see the same miraculous power of God that we see in the book of Acts is because we don't need him because we're so self, self-sufficient. We have our perfect healthcare, well, not perfect, but we have our whole system. We have our whole, we trust so many things and God is our last resort rather than our first response. But I want you to get captivated by another vision. A vision of what God was up to and what he was doing. The vision that Luke is telling Theophilus about. Hey, this is what Jesus began to do and teach. And he told his disciples, I rose from the dead. It really happened. Do you know the, 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 the reference point of our faith is not whether the earth is 6,000 years old? It doesn't matter. Well, it is 6,000 years old. Fine. Might be, it might not be though. A reference point of our faith, the the peg upon which it hangs is the resurrection of Jesus. That is the essential fact. That is the real thing. And that's why Jesus said, look, guys, I don't want to argue with you how many animals fit on Noah's Ark. That's not the point. They all were on there. Fine. That's great. They weren't on there. Okay. (laughs) The point of it is that Jesus lived and died and rose from the dead. And that fact is what they based their faith on. And that's why he came back and said, I really am alive. And a lot of people need to know that Jesus is actually alive Today, we still need to proclaim his resurrection. Well, what are we supposed to say today? Jesus is alive. He rose from the dead. It's the same message. He beat death. It's our real problem, okay? Death in all of its many forms. Coldplay wrote the the song, Death and All of His Friends, right? Death comes and he invades our lives and our physical bodies and our relationships and our emotions and our spirit in every way. Death comes and the antidote to death, what defeated death is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you get resurrection power. The scripture says the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells on the inside of you. So you can say, thank you, death. Uh, Have a nice day. Death doesn't get the final word. Come on. For a Christian, death does not get the final word. It's a good message. It's good news. And they preach the kingdom of God where God is coming to reclaim his creation. I love the fact that we are in a fight you know, in this world that we're living in, its systems and it's all of its things. And you can either be part of the problem or part of the solution. When you join Christ and you swear allegiance to this new king and this new kingdom, you can lay down your sword and begin to love even your enemies. And it's so counterintuitive and it's absolutely powerful. I'm spitting. I'm so excited about it. The kingdom of God. And then third, the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk about this at length next week. So don't come if you're offended by an awesome message about how incredible the Holy Spirit is. The power of the Holy Spirit. Because I don't know if you've recognized this, but I'm powerless on my own strength. I can't be a witness to the resurrection. I can barely get out of bed some days. I can't go to the uttermost parts of the world. I can't preach Christ. I can't love people. I can't lay my life down for people. Not, not the spirit of Jake, but the spirit of Jesus living on the inside of me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, hey, there's two responses to this message today. One is for Christians. I want you to get a huge fire lit under your fanny. That you have potentially embraced an American, Western, commercialistic gospel of pick and choose the commands of Jesus pick and choose what we see in the scriptures, pick and choose and decide what I want to believe, what I want to do. And when I'm comfortable, I'll take steps with Jesus. This is not a cute thing we write on a sign, take the next step with Jesus. It's a battle chant. It's a battle cry. It's orders of the kingdom. 
When you, when you read the book of Acts, what you'll see is there was a proclamation of the gospel, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, and there was immediate response, immediate obedience. Immediate obedience. People wouldn't wait for a baptism service in a month. They would say, baptize me now. I am in. I want Jesus. I want him to resurrect me. Come on. There should be something inside of you as a Christian that is like deep uh, passion and fire. And you know what? Through life, and it happens to all of us, our fire, our first love, our heart for God, it starts so fresh. It starts so pure. It starts so beautiful. And then we, then we go through life and we get beat down and battered and we get cracked and broken and that fire sort of leaks out. And I'm just telling you over the next couple of weeks, if you keep coming to church and you keep pressing in and reading your Bible and you keep seeking God, I believe a wave of the Holy Spirit is gonna wash over your life and you're gonna begin to feel the fire of God begin to wake you up. Come on. I believe for, for you, those of you that are followers of Jesus, that gifts and, and, and callings that God has put into your life Maybe you're a prophet. Maybe you're a preacher. Maybe you're a teacher. Maybe God's given you the gift of hospitality. All these spiritual gifts, whatever they are, they're laying dormant there. And as you get into the atmosphere of the Holy Spirit and the preaching of God's word and faith, those things are going to come alive. And you're going to show up one day and we're going to be like, oh, what happened to them? It's like putting water on one of those like uh, little pill things that kids get, you know, and it saturates up and all of a sudden it gets a lot bigger. When you allow the Holy Spirit to begin to saturate your life, he's going to wake up things, callings, giftings, abilities that you never even knew you had to do things you never thought you would do. Because when you get around an extraordinary God, ordinary people get noticed and they're like, well, we knew these people were just ordinary. They had no special training. And yet, as they said of other Christians and disciples in the book of Acts, when they showed up in a city, they said, those that have turned the world upside down have come here too. I believe for you, Christian, that you can be activated and set on fire again by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lift up your hands. Jesus, we cry out for you. We cry out for an outpouring of your spirit. I thank you, Jesus, that you didn't just pour out your spirit 2,000 years ago. You're pouring out your spirit now. And even as we go into this greater length next week, Lord, we want it now. We're ready. We want an outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We want to be woken up. We want our hearts to burn again. We want to see you resurrected as the king upon the throne of this new kingdom. God, we don't want to be bored, uh, sort of just uh, content Christians to sort of escape from this planet. We want to see your kingdom come, your will be done. So Holy Spirit, come, blow like a rushing mighty wind. Come and fall like fire upon your people. In Jesus' name, Father, we pray for an outpouring of your Holy Spirit like has never before been seen in this community. God, I pray that every Christian, not just at Joy Church, but across this place, every person that is following you, Jesus, and, and crying out for your kingdom would have their prayers answered. Lord, wake us up. Set us on fire once again in Jesus' name. And if you're here today, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I'm not gonna sit up here and tell you a bunch of religious platitudes. You gotta bow your knee to Jesus and repent of your sin just like all of us have to. And say, you know what? I've been following myself. I've been the Lord of my life, but I want to be a part of his kingdom. You get no kingdom without the king. You get no salvation without the savior. And Jesus said, there is no other way to the father, but through me. He said, I am, I exclusive. I am the way, the life and the truth. And that is the gospel that when we can come to Jesus and we let, give him our life, we trust in him, he saves us. The scripture says, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. But saved 
from what into what? You're saved from your sins. You're saved from the kingdom of darkness and you're brought into a brand new family, which is why in the book of Acts, you see this immediate response. So my challenge for you today is if you do not want to follow Jesus and you do not want him to be the king of your life, do not respond to this message. My challenge to you today though, is if you know you're done, if you're saying, I want Jesus to save me, it doesn't mean you're never gonna sin again, but he's gonna transform you from the inside out. You're transferring your allegiance to a new kingdom. If you're ready to call upon the name of the Lord, the Lord, the King, if you're ready to put your trust in him and your faith in him, he will save you. He will give you new life. And if that's you today and you wanna do that, let's just bow our heads and close our eyes. Would you just raise your hand so I can see? Thank you. I wanna put my faith in Jesus. Thank you, thank you, thank you. I wanna put my faith in Christ for real, authentically, for real. Not, I don't wanna just be somebody who just plays Christian. I want to follow Jesus. I want him to save me. Awesome, awesome. Those of you that raise your hand and everybody here, let's pray this prayer together. And then after, we're gonna have a card available for you, a yellow card. Put it in the bucket as it goes by. We wanna to continue to follow up with you on this decision that you're making, but let's pray and put our faith in Christ. Dear Jesus, I give you my heart. I give you my life, all the good and all the bad. I confess my sin, that I've done things to hurt myself, to hurt others, and to hurt you. I repent, and I give you my life, every part of me. I receive your life, thank you for what you did for me at the cross where you gave your life for me and made a way for me to be right with you. Put my faith and trust in you and in you alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's celebrate that today.